Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 21. As well, you want to put your finger in Daniel chapter 9. Matthew 21, Daniel chapter 9. We're continuing in our series, Grace and Truth. The title of today's message, Spoiler Alert. Spoiler alert. Like I said, we'll begin in Matthew's gospel, chapter 21. Would you look with me at verse 6? Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, obviously, as we're reading this text, it's Palm Sunday. That's right. Not only are we reading the text because it is Palm Sunday as Palm Sunday in, Psalm 20, in Matthew 21, today is Palm Sunday. But it wasn't known as Palm Sunday then. No, this was the day that Jesus would come into Jerusalem. It's right before Passover. It's estimated to be about 2 million Jews that are there to celebrate the Passover. It'd be like New York City in 2019, right before Christmas. Everybody getting their supplies, getting their gifts in order to celebrate the holiday. The Jews that are with Jesus, they're from Galilee. They've come all the way to celebrate along with Jesus. And it's these Jews that are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now, before all of this fanfare in Jerusalem, there's something that happens with Jesus and the disciples. He has a moment where he can build their faith. Matthew and Mark and Luke all record the event. We're going to stop and take a look in Matthew chapter 21 to know what's going on prior to this huge fanfare. Look with me at Matthew 21 verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill, and I've circled this in my Bible, this took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden." It's amazing to me that Jesus fulfills prophecy. And Jesus actually uses prophecy to fulfill the prophecy. Uses prophecy? Well, Jesus is a prophet. He says to the disciples, I want you to go straight down the street and you're going to find a donkey and a colt tied. Now, Mark tells us they're tied to a door and there's going to be an owner that's standing by according to Luke 19. And Jesus, he knows the donkey and the colt are there and he knows that the owner will be there. So he tells the disciples exactly where to go. And then he says, if anyone asks, knowing with his prophetic nature that someone would ask, he says, just respond to them and say, well, the Lord has need of them. And he uses prophecy to fulfill prophecy. 
In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, these were, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, by the prophet Zechariah. It was he that would say that the king would come humble on a donkey. But it's not only that scripture that's being fulfilled. Oh, there's another scripture. I ask you to keep your finger in Daniel. Why don't you go there with me? Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. It's here that Daniel has opened the book of the law. He is praying for Israel and praying for Jerusalem. And he reads Jeremiah. And he discovers it's going to be 70 years that the children of Israel will be in exile. So he begins to pray. He begins to pray for mercy. He begins to ask God for forgiveness for the sins that placed them in exile so that they could return. And God speaks to him. And God gives him an answer about this 70 years that truly they would go back and they would return from their exile, but it would be 70 weeks, not 70 years, 70 periods of time before Jerusalem would be completely restored, sin would be removed. We find it in Daniel chapter 9. Would you look with me at verse 24? 70 weeks or 70 periods of sevens are decreed about your people in your holy city, speaking of Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit. Oh, what a wonderful time to live in will this be. To an, uh, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand, verse 25, that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, adding the making a total of 69, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. You see, Matthew chapter 21 is very closely connected to Daniel chapter 9. For it's in Daniel chapter 9 that Matthew 21 finds its date. You see, you might be asking the question, what is this 70 weeks and this 7 weeks and 62 weeks that equals 69 weeks and one week left? Well, the Jews know very well what this 62 and 7 weeks are because they know that the, the date of the decree that was given for Jerusalem to start the rebuilding process. Well, that decree, it was given by Artaxerxes. And that decree was given on March 5th, 444 BC. Now, why is that date so important? Well, we need to do a little bit of math. Let's move aside from faith and go to arithmetic for just a moment. 69 weeks, that's 62 plus 7. 69 weeks, these weeks, they represent seven years. That's what a Jew would understand a week to, know, to be known as. So 69 times 7, that's going to equal the amount of years. However, the Jews don't go by a solar calendar. They go by a lunar calendar. And there's 30 days in a lunar calendar in, in a given month. So if we were to take our 69 weeks, and that's 69 times 7, and then we were to multiply that by 360, which would be the days in a Jewish year, we're going to have 173,880 days. Now you might say, Chet, that's a lot of math. What is Daniel the prophet doing with all of this math? Pay attention. 
Remember the date that the decree from Artaxerxes went out to restore the walls of Jerusalem. It's March 5th, 444 BC. Well, if I add this arithmetic, 173,880 days to March 5th, 444 BC, it brings me all the way to March 30th, 33 AD. That's Matthew 21, verse 1. It's the exact day that Jesus would, from the decree of Artaxerxes to them going in uh, uh, the triumphal entry, it's the exact day that Jesus would go into Jerusalem and claim himself as the king riding on the donkey that Zechariah 500 years prior said that he would. You see, Jesus uses prophecy of the donkey and the colt to fulfill the very prophecy, some that is seen in Zechariah chapter 9, recorded by Matthew, some that's unseen, but so connected to Daniel chapter 9. Gang, the Bible is filled with prophecy because of the very nature of God. Listen to what God says about himself. It's Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 and 9. I'm the Lord. That's my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And now in verse 9, he begins to describe why he deserves glory. Behold the former things that have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The very nature of God is prophetic. It's the very way that he receives glory. And because Jesus is the fullness of God. Prophecy is the very first language of Jesus. It's why he's able to tell his disciples about the end times in Matthew 24. It's why he's able to give John the revelation because his first language is prophecy because it's his very nature according to Isaiah 42 verses eight and nine. And I have found in these days that COVID-19 is stirring the disciples of the 21st century to be as curious as the disciples of the first century to know the end times from Jesus. In fact, it's this week and last, so many people have asked me about, is this the end times? Is Jesus coming? Well, before we answer that question, I want to discover a few things in our text about prophecy here on Palm Sunday. We need to understand the purpose of prophecy, and we need to understand our problem with prophecy. So let's take a look at number one. The purpose of prophecy, I want you to write it down, is to build our faith. Once again, the purpose of prophecy is to build our faith. Let's catapult to the book of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, sorry, the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes the church and he says, listen, the church needs to be edified and equipped. And the very second gift that he writes in regards to the church being edified and equipped is the gift of prophet. That's how the church is going to be edified and equipped. A little bit later to the church in Corinth, for the very reason that he writes the church in Ephesus, he writes the church in Corinth and he says, this is why I want you to desire the gift of prophecy. Because prophecy does something for the church. Not only does it edify and equip, listen to what he writes in 1 Corinthians 14.3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding 
and encouragement and consolation. You see, prophecy builds our faith. Prophecy, it encourages us to press on. The consolation, oh, prophecy, it offers hope in every, in any situation. That's why Jesus gave the first church the book of Revelation. It was to give them hope. Notice that he doesn't say they're going to be delivered from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. No, he gives them a revelation of himself, a picture of himself to offer hope. Well, it did for the disciples. Let me explain. You see, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus knows what lies ahead for the disciples after this great triumphal entry. And as a prophet himself, he said that the disciples, well, they would forsake him in the garden. And they did. He said that there would be a disciple that would betray him. And there was one. His name was Judas. He looked at Peter and said, you're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. And before the rooster crowed on that very next day, Peter had betrayed him. He even looked at Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I'm praying for you. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. He prophetically knew that Satan was, going to, was sifting him. He prophetically knew that Peter would fall. And he prophetically knew that Peter would come back to strengthen the brethren as a leader of the church. And so knowing all that they would go through after the triumphal entry, Jesus takes a moment before the triumphal entry to prophetically tell them what to do and what to say, because he knows the value of prophecy and his very nature is prophetic. And so he tells them, I want you to go down the street. You're going to find a donkey and you're going to find a colt. And sure enough, they went down the street, these two disciples, and they found this donkey and colt tied up to the door. And as they're untying the donkey, just like Jesus said, someone goes, the owner, what do you do with my donkeys? What do you do with my colt? And they said, the Lord has need of them. And the owner says, oh, well then go ahead and take them. Wow. Everything that Jesus said was true. Jesus knew the disciples needed this moment. It's why he sent them on this prophetic journey. Because by the very nature of the fact that Jesus was able to prophesy, it proves the fact Jesus is God. In fact, he's the fullness of God. The very fact that the donkey and the colt was there proves the fact he knows everything. And the very fact that he knew that the owner would say, hey, where are you going with my donkey? And then he gave them the exact word to respond. It proves that he's in control. He knows exactly what's in the future. What a faith builder for the disciples to know that Jesus is God, that he knows everything, that he's in absolute control. And he knew that they would need this because after the triumphal entry, it would not be so triumphant for the disciples. And they would need the encouragement to press on. They would need the hope that can only be found in the consolation of knowing Jesus and not in your situation. And for us, this word of prophecy on Palm Sunday, it's an important message for us in 2020. Because he's God and he's the God of prophecy, I can trust he knows my future. I can trust him. 
And because he knows everything, I can be encouraged by whatever he says in his word for my life. And because he's in control, my hope is in him, not the nightly news. And I wonder how much more attention we are paying to the nightly news than we are to being in his word. You see, guys, I need to let us know. God's not up in the heavenlies going, (gasps) angels, we got to talk. I can't believe we let this COVID thing get out of control. No, he's in control. He knows all things. He is God and he knows my future. Now, if we believe this, it's going to affect our behavior through the midst of this. It did for the disciples. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 21. If you'll go back there with me, Matthew chapter 21, look at verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. You see, the disciples believed in Jesus. He had prophesied before and they had seen it come to pass. They believed in him and they went and they did as Jesus directed him. And they brought the donkey and they brought the colt. And I want you to imagine the moment if you would. I'm sure as they were laying the garments on the donkey and laying the garments on the colt, they've got to imagine, well, Jesus is going to get on the donkey. He's definitely not going to get on the colt. A colt has never been ridden. Well, just imagine their faces when Jesus mounts the colt that has never been ridden. He'd never been sat upon according to Luke's gospel. Well, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of doing this, but I have. I'll never forget, I got on the back of a colt thinking that I was some kind of cowboy. And when I got on the back of this colt, just a young colt, a male young donkey, this thing started bucking and bronking until it threw me into a tree. (laughs) The hilarious thing was it turned around, pointed its hoof at me and actually started to laugh. It was (laughs) laughing at me. I couldn't believe it. And I'll never do that noise again publicly. But the truth of the matter is, this donkey laughed at me. And I'm amazed that Jesus would get on this cult. Because here in this moment, he's fulfilling prophecy as the prophet again. It's Psalm chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, verse 7, and also the beasts of the field. He has dominion over that cult. And as the disciples watch this, as they had seen the very fact that they went exactly where Jesus had told them to go, and the man said exactly what Jesus said that he would say, now they're watching him have dominion over this cult. There's the purpose of prophecy. They did As he directed them, he was building their faith. And his prophetic word, his prophetic word, it reaches all the way to the 21st century. It doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And last month, we talked about being salt and we talked about being light. Nothing has changed Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word still stands that we prophetically are to be salt and light in the 21st century. Well, the only thing that's changed between last month and this month is the storm called COVID-19. But Jesus, he prophetically deals with that again. 
It's Matthew chapter 7. He says, whoever hears and does my word is like a man who builds his house upon the rock. But whoever hears the word and doesn't do it is like a man that builds his house upon the sand. So when the storm comes, you'll know whether you built on the rock because your house will stand or whether you built on sand because your house is going to fall. And so the question through COVID-19 is we hear the prophetic word of Jesus. How are we weathering the storm? And if we've realized our faith has fallen apart, then you built your house on sand. And the only thing that you can do is start rebuilding on the rock. And the way that we rebuild, well, it's the point of prophecy. It's the purpose of prophecy is that we do what he's asked us to do. There's our first principle. The purpose of prophecy is to build our faith. But I told you there was two. The second, I want you to write it down. The problem with prophecy is our timing because of a limited knowledge. You ask any comedian, timing is everything. But the problem with prophecy is our timing. Let me give you an example. When I was going to ask Andrea to marry me, it was my birthday. So she showed up and all of our friends were there and she's the only one in the room that doesn't know what's about to happen. But I'm nervous. I know what's about to happen. She doesn't know. So I can't even speak to her because I'm so afraid. I, I, I say hello and then I kind of walk away and I really don't pay attention to her because I don't want to give away the surprise and I don't want her to know, but I'm acting all weird and she gets so weirded out that she's about to leave her very own engagement party upset with me because I'm not spending time or talking to her. She's just about to walk out the door and I ask her to marry me. And then all of a sudden, it makes sense why I'm being so weird. It makes sense why I wasn't acting the way that I usually acted. She didn't have all the knowledge and she was about to walk out the door and ruin the timing of me asking her to marry me. Timing is everything. And there's a fundamental concept that we need to understand if we're going to recognize this. His way's not our way. And his thoughts... They're not our thoughts. Let me show you. Go back to Matthew chapter 21, verse 8, as we see the problem of prophecy, uh, uh, prophecy with us. Most of the crowd, they spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is kind of like a, a first century red carpet that they're laying out for Jesus. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, if you don't know what Hosanna means, it means save us. Save us now. We are under the tyranny of Rome. Let's march right to Antonio's fortress and Jesus establish you as the king of kings. Jesus, Hosanna. The time is now. You see, as the Galilean Jews... As they saw the prophecies unfolding, Zechariah chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 9, and the very day that Daniel proclaimed what happened, Jesus comes walking in the streets of Jerusalem. Wow, the prophecies, they're unfolding. So looking at the signs of the times, they began to interpret this to believe 
that the time was now for Jesus to set up his kingdom. But the problem was their timing. The problem is they didn't know the whole counsel of God in the same way that Andrea didn't know I was about to ask her to marry me. They didn't understand there was a cross. In the same way, Andre didn't understand why we weren't having an intimate date night and why all of these people were there at a party. You see, even though Jesus told them three times that he was going to be crucified and that religious rulers were going to kill him and that he was going to rise again on the third day, they didn't have the right timing because they struggled with that prophecy. And that's the problem with prophecy. When we don't understand because of our lack of knowledge and when God's time is not our time, our timing is off. Now, one day, gang, it's all going to make sense just like it made sense for Andrea. One day, we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to know just as we're known. We're going to have God's perspective and we're going to understand his timing because we're going to see it through an eternal lens. But for now, and now we got to be careful because sometimes in the history of the church, well, we've attached specific prophecies to historical events that are happening in the world. And we've made the mistake of saying things that were not necessarily in the right time. It goes all the way back to the first church, the Thessalonians. They believed because of Roman tyranny and false teaching that Jesus had already come. So Paul, he's got to write a letter to him in 2 Thessalonians and say, no, 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 Christ has not come yet. Going a little bit further, it's 1844. A Baptist preacher by the name of William Miller. He misinterpreted Daniel chapter 8 and connected it to the second great awakening. And he made a decision announced to his followers on October 22nd, 1844, Jesus will return. Well, I would say we're uh, over 100 years beyond that point, and we're still waiting for his return. World War II, it's the church that announced Mussolini as the Antichrist. Or even in my own lifetime, a book that was published, 88 Reasons for Christ's Return in 1988. Dang. We got to be careful. We got to be careful that we don't attach scriptural prophecies to this pandemic and we don't make the same mistake as a William Miller or the Thessalonian church or even those who would write books, 88 Reasons for Christ's Return in 1988. Let me give you an example, if I could, for just a moment. Jesus had built the disciples' faith. This whole donkey and cult thing had just wowed them where they really began to trust in Jesus's prophetic word. So they want to know about end times. So they ask him some questions. Flip over a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 24. You'll see it for yourself. Matthew 24, verse three. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. And he was, they were speaking about Jesus saying that the temple was going to be destroyed. So they said, tell us when these things are going to be. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, oh, this is great. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ. And they'll lead many astray. 
and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, I'm going to switch over to the New King James Version to read verse 7 and 8. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Stop there for a moment. Verse 7 becomes our problem. Pestilence. Let me give you a modern day term. Contagions. Viruses. Pandemics. I knew it. I knew this was the end. I knew that you were going to tell us that we're in the end times. Well, you're right in one sense. Because all the way back to Daniel. Let me explain. Daniel has received a revelation that he doesn't understand. It's a revelation of what is known as the great tribulation. It's the last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation. Tribulation is divided into two parts. The first three and a half years, which is the tribulation and the second three and a half years, which is the great tribulation. Well, Daniel receives a vision about the end of times, this great tribulation. And in Daniel chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, he says this, I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, speaking of God, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Now, that's interesting. Hey, Daniel, this isn't for you to know. I just want you to do what I'm calling you to do. And if you believe in me, Daniel, I just want you to shut up what's been sealed. I want you to seal it. And I don't want you to write it down. And I know you're not going to understand it. But because I'm the God of prophecy, I want you to trust me. So Daniel does exactly what God wants him to do. And he shuts it up for the words are to be shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Well, we can rest assured that we are in the last days because what was shut up and sealed for Daniel has been revealed to the church. It's Jesus's love letter. It's Jesus' special revelation to his bride. We know it as the book of Revelation. It is the book that is given to the church to explain what will happen in the end. It is what was not revealed to Daniel, but has been revealed to us. And when John wrote the book of Revelation, it was the beginning of the last days. So you're right in one sense. We are in the last days, but your timing is off. Because here in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about his second coming. He's not talking about the rapture. You might say, wait a second. What are you talking about? I thought those were two of the same things. No, no, no. The rapture and the second coming are two separate events. And it's important to know that the rapture comes first. And the rapture is for the church. And there's no signs for the rapture, except for maybe verse eight. Take a look. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. See, it's nine months for a woman to be pregnant. 
And then it's around that eighth month, those Braxton Hicks begin to start, those pre-contractions. And then, all of a sudden, labor begins. And as labor begins, the frequency and the intensity of the contractions, they get more and more and more until that baby is born. And maybe the indication for us here is that we're experiencing those birth pains that we will see them intensify and we will see their frequency increase. But Jesus is speaking about the second coming. He's speaking about the sign of the second coming, not about the rapture. And so as we wait for the rapture, we need to hear the words of Jesus. It's John chapter 14. He said to his disciples, don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Look, I've told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. He says to them, I'm coming back. And if we're experiencing the birth pains of what he prophetically said that we would, then we can trust if one prophetic word is right, then the other, truly, he is coming back for us. But as for when he's coming back, Oh, he answers it for us. It's Matthew chapter 24. Look over at verse 38. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only. He says only the father knows. No one knows. And no one likes that answer. We want to know. We want to know the date. We want to know the time. We want to know, is Jesus, are you coming now? We see these birth pains. Lord, is it the time? And I don't know if I like the answer that I don't know. But there are some things that we do know. We know that these birth pains are going to intensify, and we know they're going to become more frequent. We know by the book of Revelation, there's a coming global government, a global economy, in a cashless society, and a global religion, all under a counterfeit Christ. He'll look like Christ, he'll act like Christ, but he's a false Christ. And we know that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation on the way. And as we begin to see these things happen, as we begin to see these birth pains, Jesus prophetically gives us something to do. He says in Luke chapter 21, verse 28, look up, lift up your head. For when you see these things happening, your redemption draws near. Here's what he says to do. With all of these things Don't get involved and engaged in conspiracies. No, don't keep your mind focused on what people are saying or on the nightly news. He says, look up, fix your eyes on Jesus in this season and every other season. Gang, that's what the Jews from Galilee did. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Go back there with me if you would. Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Did you hear what they called him? They called him the prophet Jesus. Now this is the Jerusalem Jews. 
They're asking, who is this? Because they didn't know Jesus as well as the Galilean Jews. There wasn't Fox News and CNN to report all that Jesus was doing in Galilee. They had heard of this Messiah-like person, but they didn't know who it was that was riding on this donkey. They'd not seen a picture of him. And they asked the Galilean Jews, who is this? Well, the Galilean Jews knew who he was. They'd watched his miracles. They heard his word, and they had come to trust That what he said was true was true. And what he said was going to be true, it would be true. They believed in him. They believed in him that he was their king. And that's why they worshiped him. That's why they laid out their garments. And gang, they did this in front of an enemy. They did this in front of the tyranny of their enemy, which was Rome. And gang... Our enemy may be COVID-19, and we would do well to follow the example of the Galilean Jews. You see, I want you to write this down. They worshiped him. And the way they expressed their worship of Jesus in the midst of their enemy, they gave their garments. They gave what they had. That's what they did. They didn't look for something else other than what they had on and they laid them at the feet of Jesus as if to be a red carpet for their king to walk on. They celebrated. Here in front of their enemy as all of Rome watched them, they celebrate despite their circumstance. Speaking to a friend of mine the other day and she was telling me about being cooped up in the house and she's well over 70 years old and she said to me, hey Chet, she goes, I realized I was getting frustrated being in this home, but then I thought of a bird in a cage. And it's amazing to me that though the bird is in a cage, it still sings with all of its heart, no matter the fact that it's in a cage. So she said, I've been singing. I've been singing all day. I have been finding hymns and singing hymn after hymn after hymn. And I want you to see the result of the way that they worshiped. They caused the entire city to be in a stir. Listen to this. The whole city was stirred up because of the way that they worshiped. And maybe if we start singing, we can give encouragement and we could inspire just like the Galilean Jews instead of being negative and frustrated in our current situation. Gang, look up. Our redemption draws near and we need to trust our God Jesus the prophet, because he says we have a future with him.